Okay. <laughs> All right. Hey, kiddos. There's a lot of you here tonight, and I'm so happy to see each of you guys. I know that it is a big job um, to listen to someone talk for a while, and you're gearing up to go to school and do it a lot more than you've been used to this summer. Um, but y'all actually, y'all do a really great job. You do really well, and we're really thankful to have you guys here. Um, but tonight, I think a lot of what I'm going to say matters to you guys too. So. I want you to try your best to listen because I think this message is for you too. So here's, a, here's something you can do. Okay, I'm gonna say the word kingdom and I'm gonna say the word Jesus a lot. So what you can do is every time I say, pick one of those words and every time I say that word, just make a tally mark, okay? And then at the very end, when it's all over, you can come up to me and tell me, uh, Miss Nicole, you said kingdom like a thousand times, okay? So that's, that'll be one way that you can try and stay engaged and keep listening, okay? Maybe it'll help you follow along. Pick one of those words and take a tally mark every time I say it. Okay, so hopefully over the last few weeks, um, we have, we, as we've gone through this series that we have increased your ability to see God's word as one big story, one narrative. Um, that you wouldn't just see it as, you know, an encyclopedia of certain topics or a user manual, but that you could see it's one big story. So what I want to do is take a quick minute just to remember what that story is that we've gone through and where we're at today. So we use this slide to kind of help us walk through it. Kiddos, how does the Bible start? God made the world. Yeah, Belle, you have anything to add to that? He makes people. Good. Yeah. He made Adam and Eve. Yep, that's how, that's how the Bible begins, right? With creation. And who is the creator? God. Thank you so much, Piper. Yeah, okay. And then what comes next after creation? Who, kiddos, who knows this one? Charlotte? Okay, what happens? James? He tempts Adam and Eve to disobey. Do you have anything to add? Yeah, yeah, there's definitely more people that come. Yeah, yeah, so there's this rebellion, right? The people rebel against God. Um, and then we have the promise. We learn that there's this covenant promise that God makes with Abraham and Isaac and then Jacob and then to the whole nation of Israel. Any kiddos remember what the promise would be? This is kind of a harder one. It's okay. Any guesses? James? Yeah, that one day there's going to be a rescuer that's going to come, and he would rescue the rebellious creation, um, and he would bless all nations. And so when we studied that, we also saw that the people had a desire for a king, and their hearts were bent towards idol worship, um, even in the face of God's promise. Okay, so then last week, we've got redemption. Kiddos, what does that mean? <laughs> who comes to redeem jesus jesus comes to redeem the promised rescuer comes and he enters in human form to heal the world's brokenness he is the one that israel had been waiting for 
Jesus lived a perfect life. He died and he rose again. And then it's his death that invites us to return to the kingdom that he declared that we were always intended to live in in the very beginning. So that's where we are, and that's where we're going to pick up the story today. So the word is church. So um, in this story that we've been teaching on all these weeks, we have been careful to emphasize that who is the main character? Thank you. Yeah, God is the main character. He always has been, and he always will be. The problem is, who do we try to make the main character? Us. I'm so glad you're here, Piper. Us. Yeah. So that is what we do. We try to make ourselves the main character. People before us did this. People that come after us will do this. We are doing it right now. All people have the same temptation. We try to make ourselves the main character. But nothing good comes when we center ourselves in the story because we're not meant to be the center of the story. When we center ourselves in the story, we're essentially telling God to scooch on over. So when you think about it that term, that doesn't sound very good, does it? No. No! (laughs) But even though we are not the main character, we will never be the main character, we do have a part to play. And we haven't been in the story yet so far. We, hasn't been about, we haven't been in the story yet, but we have been learning about our heritage. And we've been learning about the people of God, um, of which we are a part of. And so today, we are entering the story. story. Kids, you are too. You are also entering the story. So we're going to be talking about this in-between time that we're in. After Jesus' first coming, but before he comes again. When Jesus showed up, he ushered in his kingdom. But in this in-between time that we're in right now, how does the kingdom of God spread? How does the kingdom of God spread? It spreads through the church. Okay, raise your hand in here if you're five. Okay, I got Kate is five. Piper's five. Jane is five. We've got three five-year-olds in here. Awesome. Okay, when I was five... I asked to go to church with my dad. We were not part of a church. My parents were not yet believers, um, but I had a neighbor whose dad was a pastor and I adored this family. I didn't know a thing about what church was or what it meant or what you did, but I was so curious about it. I think five-year-olds are curious about a lot of things, right? I was so curious, and a lot of y'all know this story about me, um, but to summarize, this is the church community that God used to lead my family to faith. Um, God used that church, that group of people, to change everything for us. I share that so I can say this to you guys. I don't pretend to have all the answers, but I am completely sold on God's plan for the church. I have questions. Some parts are super hard. Some parts are very confusing. Um, There is an element of mystery for sure to the church, but I am in. I have had really beautiful seasons of the church, and I have had very difficult seasons of the church. And I think that that is true for most of us, Um, but I still believe in the church. I believe in the church because it has changed my life, The church is God's plan, 
and we need to remember that, that that is his plan, and we need to believe that to be true. So to first get an understanding of this part of the narrative story, we're going to do just a like super flyover of the New Testament. <laughs> I get to cover like almost all of the New Testament. So it's going to be a flyover of it, but we're going to start in Acts 1, okay? So um, remember, Acts is written by Luke. So it's really just a continuation of that book. Um, the, bo- the book of Luke ends with a description of the ascension of Jesus from earth to share the throne with God over creation. So when we pick up in Acts 1, Luke is really just continuing the story. So um, we're going to put that up. I think there should be. Yep. Okay. So let's read this together. Uh, verse 1. It says, In my former book, the book of Luke, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. Kingdom, for any of you keeping track. On one occasion, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Luke emphasized that his first book, among the other books of the gospel, reveals the work and ministry that Jesus began. Acts, in the rest of the New Testament, reveals the work and ministry that Jesus continues to do through his spirit through the church, to the whole world. But we start with this image of the ascension. Um, The ascension of Jesus happens before the Holy Spirit comes. And ascension is kind of a strange word. Um, And it's kind of just a strange thing to imagine, okay? So I think our default setting when we hear the word ascension is to imagine Jesus like rising up and disappearing, and and, then that's like the ascension. It's kind of like a weird part, you know? Um, But that's wrong, or at the very least, it's incomplete, because this is actually what we mean when we say ascension is he becomes king. So kids, I need your help. I need you to imagine with me for a minute, okay? I have a picture I'm going to put up. Think about Frozen for a second, the movie Frozen, the first one, okay? Look at this picture. Okay, can you guys see that? I know it's kind of dark. Can you guys see what's happening? Do you guys remember this scene? Anna wakes up, and she's like, her hair's all wild, and she's groggy, and they're like, come on, you need to get ready. You need to get ready, and she's like, yeah, 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 and then she like all of a sudden remembers. What does she remember? It's Coronation Day, which means what? What is, what is happening in the, in the kingdom? Yeah, Charlotte. Elsa is getting crowned queen. So it's like a big deal. It is the day that Elsa becomes queen. Okay, and so that's why she's so excited because it's coronation day. So when we think of the ascension of Jesus, kiddos, when you think of the ascension of Jesus, think of it that it doesn't mean that he's just gone away and he's left us to our own devices. That's not what it means at all. What it means is that Jesus is now king. Like his ascension is coronation day. Jesus is now king. He is joining heaven and earth together, and he's also promising to send the Holy Spirit 
So in that moment, Jesus now shares the throne of God over all creation and all people. And what this means is that Jesus is king, which means that Jesus is Lord. And Jesus is Lord, that is the basic principle, the foundation for the rest of the New Testament, that Jesus is Lord. So a couple months ago, I actually, I had to attend a funeral for a good friend's mom. And um, it, was a, it was a devastating loss of life. It's something that we are still dealing with and processing. And my very good friend got up and actually gave a eulogy for her mom. And the thing is that she wanted everybody to know about her mom was that her mom didn't just believe in Jesus, but she believed that Jesus was her Lord. And I can still hear my friend emphasizing that, that Jesus was her mother's Lord. And my friend was clear to make that distinction because she wanted everybody to know. There were hundreds of people there, and she wanted everybody to know that her mom submitted to Christ's rule and authority, that she followed and she trusted and she surrendered her daily living to the lordship of Christ. And that's what it means that Jesus is Lord, that we surrender and we submit to the good rule and authority of Jesus Because if Jesus is not our Lord, we are allowing something else to rule and reign over our lives. So the question isn't just what, um, the question just isn't, do you believe in Jesus? Because we we, we know this in scripture, even the demons believe and shudder at that. But the question is, who is your Lord? Because that's the difference that it makes between um, believing in Jesus and believing that Jesus is Lord. So, At the time of ascension, coronation day for Jesus, Caesar expected citizens, he he expected the people to call Caesar Lord. But the early church, the new believers, the followers of Jesus, they could not say this because Jesus, not Caesar, is Lord. So let's look into verses 6 through 8, I think. Um, we see that Jesus is Lord. They, they understand that. They understand that Jesus is Lord. But they still don't fully get what his kingdom looks like. So it says, Then they gathered, they gathered around him, and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the time or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So even though they understood that Jesus is Lord, they still didn't understand what he meant by this kingdom. The people are still waiting for a physical kingdom to appear, to show up. Or they're waiting for a political kingdom to come and topple Caesar. They still were confused by what Jesus meant by the kingdom. The way of the kingdom is the way of Jesus. And when Jesus came to earth, he didn't come to bring a political empire that ruled by force, like Caesar in Rome. He came to show sacrificial love. It's walking in humility, considering others before yourself, loving your neighbor and also loving your enemy. I've had a ticker tape going through my head this week. Telling, God saying, love your enemy. I've asked you to love your enemy. I love your enemy. That's what his, his kingdom looks like. Laying down your rights for the good of others. 
It's not a political side. His kingdom is not a political side. It's not the American dream. It's not Christian nationalism. The kingdom is oriented around Jesus and his way of sacrificial love. That's it. That's the kingdom. But bam, that's hard sometimes. Sometimes it just feels straight up impossible. So how can we do this? Jesus knew what he was asking was not going to be easy. So he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. So Jesus tells his apostles the promised Holy Spirit will give them power to witness to the entire world. Jesus said something greater was promised to come. So they held on to that promise and they waited. So 10 days after Jesus ascends to the Father, the Holy Spirit is poured out over his followers. The people are gathered together on the day of Pentecost when a violent wind comes through and tongues of fire appear to rest on their heads. And as if that is not weird and wild enough, they are then speaking in different languages. So what we see is that the gospel message is no longer confined to one people group, one language group, one culture. Jesus may be on his throne, but by his Holy Spirit, the good news of the kingdom can now spread to the ends of the earth. So after God pours out his spirit, the first thing the Holy Spirit does is he forms a community. What starts as a small group of people at the beginning of chapter 2 in Acts grows to over 3,000 by the end of chapter 2. And then we have this really beautiful description at the end of Acts chapter 2 that um, many of us are familiar with. It's very healthy. It's very inspiring. Um, It says that they are devoted to teaching and to fellowship and to communion and to prayer. And they are marked. They're a marked group of people for their generosity, their commitment to justice and to mercy. They are joyful, worshiping people. And people are added to their numbers daily. It's an attractive group of people. It is the life and power of the Holy Spirit in that community shining through those people who are seeking the kingdom of God. That is what draws people in. People are now invited to give their allegiance to King Jesus and to live according to his story in his kingdom. Forgiveness, hope, and salvation are possible because of Jesus. And that is the church. And that was a fantastic example for us. We all read Acts 2 and we think, yes, like we want, we're buying into that. But I want us to be very careful that our eyes don't drift from what is essential to that community, what made that community what it was. It was the Holy Spirit forming that community. We need to be careful that we don't make an idol out of community. This community was the result of the Holy Spirit indwelling, empowering, and equipping those people. So when we make an idol out of community, what happens? It hurts us in the end, right? We're disappointed. We're let down. We're annoyed. We aren't meant to idolize community, but rather worship the creator and the giver of community. And our longing for community, for that Acts 2 image, that's good. The ache and desire is from God because we were wired for it. Community is where we learn to live and to love um, both the people we like and the people we don't like. 
It's where we practice and we discover what it means to be like Jesus. We can't live the way of Jesus without each other. And we can't live this way without the Holy Spirit who equips and empowers us, who is described as our first fruits, the first part of the harvest, ready to be enjoyed now in part and also as a reminder and an encouragement of what is yet to come. So to do the most basic summary ever of the New Testament, after the Spirit descends and after this community is formed, the gospel is declared now, not just by teachers and the leaders, but by all believers, by ordinary, regular people who don't have fancy credentials, but who love the Lord and, and want others to also love the Lord. The gospel spreads beyond Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, and these church communities are formed wherever the gospel goes. The family of God grows, and the hope, desire, and mission of these church communities is to see the kingdom of God reach the ends of the earth. So then about halfway through Acts, there's the story of a man named Paul, which we've talked about before as we were studying Philippians, who hated followers of Jesus, who had a radical transforma transformation with an encounter with Jesus, and then that encounter led to the further spread of the gospel. And then after the book of Acts, there are 21 letters written to different church communities. And these, some of these letters are letters of encouragement. Um, some of them are, um, you know, letters of rebuke and correction. Some of them are heavy on theology. Some of them address problems or questions of the church. Uh, most of them are written by Paul with a pastoral heart. They address the tension of the already and the not yet aspect of the kingdom arrival. The bottom line is, of all of the New Testament that you could sum up in these books uh, of the letters, is to spread the word that Jesus is king and to live as citizens of his kingdom. So the work that Jesus began, that was carried on by the early church, and that was spread through the Roman Empire by Paul and others, that work, that's still happening and this is where we show up, where we enter the story. There's this image that you might have heard before um, by N.T. Wright, and it is so helpful in understanding our role in this narrative. So go with me for a second and imagine. Imagine that scholars found an undiscovered Shakespeare play. And the play originally had six acts, and they found, um, they found the first four acts, they found part of Act 5, and then they found Act 6. And then they're given to um, a group of actors, and they're saying, okay, can you figure out the missing part? Can you kind of fill that in and, and, and do that? Um, and so these actors immerse themselves in this play of what they have. They understand the culture and the language and the characters and how they're supposed to act and respond. Um, they study and they pay attention to all those things, and then they improvise the remainder of the play based on what they've studied and what they've learned about the characters. This is us. This is actually us. This is our part of the story here. We've been studying the biblical narrative of redemption through the Bible, and right now we're in that second part of the story of the church. The author is God, and he has given us his spirit to carry out the story. So how do we live today? What does it look like to play our part and move this story of redemption forward? 
It looks like being true to God's word, understanding it so well that we can live in consistency with what the Bible says, knowing it in our bones. And it looks like walking in step with the Holy Spirit, paying attention to our own moment in time, but keeping our eyes always fixed on the kingdom. And when our lives are shaped and formed by scripture and by prayer and community, when we're being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, we are able to slip right in and continue the story, to continue this narrative, the story of redemption. So what is shaping you and what has influence over you? Because the answer to those, those questions impact the way we live and the impacts what kingdom our allegiance is to. But here's the deal. You aren't a Christian alone. You don't enter the story all by yourself. God's plan, as we saw in Acts and all over the New Testament, was for believers to be in community with one another through the church. The church is God's plan, and we are commissioned to be agents of healing to this world. So what does that look like? Well, the church requires participation. Church is not meant to be consumed. It's not an event or a social club. We don't watch. It's not a spectator sport. It's a family. And if you're a Christian, whether you participate in the church or not, you are part of it. And I get that there is baggage and hurt and frustration. And hear me when I say this. The church didn't hurt you. And I mean that tenderly. The church didn't hurt you people did. Broken people, of which we all identify as, with your eyes on the kingdom, don't give up on the church. God is worthy of more than our casual church attendance or association or our grumbling or our disdain. He is worthy of more than our criticism or our Yelp-style review to bounce around and check out what church we like best. God is worthy of your trust and your participation because the church is his plan, and we're in it together. The church is meant to be a preview of what the future in God's kingdom will be like. In Acts 2, the church established a healthy community of believers who bore witness to God's kingdom. They read scripture together. They prayed together. They ate together. They took communion together. They were generous, and they considered others before themselves. And as a result of that, they gave a sincere and attractive preview of the coming kingdom. It's a picture of that phrase that we often say, the kingdom is here and not yet. In this in-between time, our role as kingdom citizens is to bear witness for our king and his kingdom. And often when we hear the term witness, we think of evangelizing or overseas missionaries, and those are both good things, but we mean so much more. We mean to bear witness to God's kingdom, um, and what that, oh, so, okay, there's a summary. Do you have, can you put that up? There's a, qu a quote that I love from this book that we've been using to shape our teachings. And it says, to witness truly means to embody God's renewing power in politics, in citizenship, economics, and business, education, and scholarship, family, and neighborhood, media, and art, leisure, and play. It is not enough just to carry out personal evangelism 
in these areas of life. Our whole lives, the way we live as citizens, consumers, students, spouses, parents, and friends should witness to the restoring power of God. We witness to what it means to be truly human as God intended. The call is to bear witness to the way of Jesus, to be reshaped to fit his kingdom by the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells in and among us. The Holy Spirit empowers and fills us so that we can bear witness and announce that there's another way. There is hope and there is restoration and redemption in the kingdom. The kingdom of God spreads through a people, spreads through the church. That is us. That is our role. That is our part of this story. And not only, though, are we a witness to the world, but I want to pause and take a moment to say we are also a witness to a certain group among us. Kiddos, I know I might have lost you by this point, so I have something I want you to hear from me. Kids, you matter. You matter to God, and he delights in you. You matter to this church. You are a very important part of this church. You are not just a tag along with your parents. You are part of our church family. And adults, the kids in this room matter. And what they see and experience with us, all of us in this room, wherever we gather, whatever community, however we hang out outside, whatever it looks like, it will shape their view of the church. How we treat others, how we treat each other, how we act when we're out and about, how we love people we like and people we don't like. When you consider your mission field, your spheres of influence, remember that we have got a room full of not yet believers and new believers and young believers who are watching our witness. They're the next generation, and we want to see the next generation rise up and be faithful to God and faithful to his church. We want to see them love God and love the church. And that's a weighty and important responsibility for us. But for better or for worse, these kids, their view of church is being shaped by what they see from us and how they are treated by us and what they are noticing and observing. That matters. Kiddos, you matter. You are part of the church. And we want you to feel loved and, and that you are part of this church family. Jesus is Lord. His kingdom has been inaugurated. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we, all of us, are invited to participate in his kingdom work. So as we get ready to take communion, it's an opportunity for us as kingdom citizens, to declare and remember that Jesus is our Lord. So you can take the bread. The resurrected Jesus sent his spirit to empower us, to help usher in his kingdom. So by participating in communion, we declare that Jesus alone is Lord. And with that, take and eat.
And by participating in communion, we declare that by the Holy Spirit, we are united in mission with Jesus. Ephesians 5, 1 says, Be imitators of God as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. By Christ's example of sacrificial love, we too are invited as a community of believers to imitate that love. So take and drink and remember. Church, our announcement every day is the kingdom has come in part and the kingdom will one day come in full. Every day we get to go and act out his way of living to walk in the way of Jesus. Seek first Jesus in his kingdom and we will be the church that God intends to use to usher in his kingdom. Let's pray. God, you alone are able to save and bring the peace that we all so desperately desire. God, it is by your Holy Spirit that we are even able to be equipped to love and live the way that Christ loved and lived. God, I pray that we would be people who keep our eyes fixed on the kingdom above all else, that our allegiance would be to you alone, that you, Lord, would shape us to fit your kingdom and to declare it to those around us. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.